Hi, I'm Kim Payne, and you're listening to the Courageous Me podcast, which is all about inspiring you through incredible stories and sharing some really cool ways to add more courage into your life. Welcome to another episode of Courageous Me. And this week, we've got the gorgeous Joe Smythe. Now, Joe is the managing director of Twigger. And Joe, I'm going to get you to tell us one. I don't know that I pronounced that correctly and tell us a bit about that in a second. But before you do, could you just share why you're excited to have this conversation with me today about courage? Yeah, thank you. It's um, it's wonderful to be part of the podcast. I really appreciate the invite. Um, look, I think when when I think about courage, I think I'm still challenged in my own mind about exactly what is courage because I think we look at other people, other women, and we go, well, they've done this amazing thing and how courageous is that? But, you know, I think for a lot of women in particular, you know, sort of getting up and doing the do every day can be, you know, a, a really big act of, of courage. And so I'm kind of excited to talk about it in, in navigating my own thoughts about what courage is, but also, you know, how we think about it um, more broadly from just the, you know, the, the, the getting up and the doing to the, you know, some of those kind of, I guess, more heroic sort of things that we might typically think courage actually is. And that's really a common theme that a lot of people do kind of put more emphasis on the heroic component to it and not the fact that courage can just be in your everyday, like getting out of bed every morning and going through the motion or the routine or the challenges that you've got, like just getting through the day, knowing you've done that, that there's an element of courage in that that we overlook because it doesn't seem so heroic. And it's so easy to see it in other people. It's so easy to look at your best friend and go, God, she's so courageous. She just gets up and does that thing despite all of these challenges that are thrown in front of her. Yet I think if we actually put the mirror onto ourselves, we could say, oh, wow, you know, I'm doing some things like that or I've done some things like that or I can see, you know, in the, in the, the flight plan in front of me is going to have a whole lot of, you know, courageous acts involved in it. So... So I think, you know, um, stepping into acknowledging that that courage is something that, that we have, that we do, that I think we do and feel every day. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And Twiga, and have I said it right, firstly, and where does that come from? What, what is it? Yeah, so Twiga, yes, you have said it correctly. Twiga, um, Twiga is Swahili for giraffe. And so many years ago when... Um, I was growing my business and we moved from a, you know, sole trader to a company. I had to have a name for the business. I'm like, what am I going to call this company? And it sort of took me back to one of those um, beautifully constructed, somewhat wanky HR sessions from the, you know, early 2000s where the icebreaker was, if you're an animal, which animal would you be? And I thought, God, I'm just, I'm not a monkey, I'm not a bird. I'm not one of those, I'm not a fish. And I thought I quite like the giraffe because the giraffe, has presence, the giraffe has gravitas, the giraffe is there when you think about where they are in the wild and they kind of, with the long neck, they're, they're seeing things at a different perspective. They don't make a lot of noise. They're not rah-rah in your face. They're very unco. So if you if, if you ever look at videos of a giraffe trying to drink water, like they're almost like falling down, I can quite resonate with that myself. And then Google angry giraffes because a, a giraffe, when it fights with another giraffe, or another animal actually fights with its neck and its head. I quite like the the thought about, you know, if I'm going to be angry with someone, it's intellectual, not anything else. So I quite kind of resonate with the giraffe being not in your face, but present with something thoughtful, um, something deliberate to say and, and to do. So, yeah. 
So the company was named after the giraffe. (laughs) (laughs) That is absolutely beautiful. It's a good thing the company's not a child because I'm not quite sure Twigger is a name for a kid, but anyway. (laughs) No, and just on that note, what does Twigger do? Because I'm I'm assuming it's not in wild animal safaris or anything. No, it's it's definitely not, no. So we work um, with organisations around organisational culture. So anything to do with people and culture within an organisation in terms of how people work, how they connect, how they engage and how they just have a better experience of work. And that can be anything from your typical change management through to cultural programs that we run, through to engagement, communications, internal and external communications as well. That's beautiful. Are giraffes, like, are they quite communal in how they engage with other animals? Do you, do you know that? Yeah, they are a, a little bit, but they're, um, they are, but in a quiet, reserved collective kind of way and there's a lot of humans like that too aren't there so there is it's very very beautiful so that that wanky hr session actually was quite (laughs) useful (laughs) it's quite formative just starting my company (laughs) (laughs) absolutely now speaking of which if you had to go back and look into your past and how you got to where you've got where do you think you've had to show a fair amount of courage really had to reach in and you know bring out you know that inner courage from with you where do you think that has shown up in your life? I think various parts around around that, you know, from a, a, a young person, you know, going overseas to live with a homestay family for six months when I was 15 was kind of brave and courageous because that was before social media and we had to actually handwrite letters and you wouldn't make a phone call because it was reverse charges and it would cost your parents a fortune. So, you know, I think my mum sent me away for six months and really didn't talk to me for a long time, just by virtue of the, the, the time. Where did you go? Oh, I went to Michigan in the US. Oh, so they spoke English though? Oh, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, I've just come back from Christmas in Michigan with my family. So 35 years later, we're still very connected as family, which is beautiful. But there's that. I mean, I don't know. I had a sort of a 15-year corporate career with a very large Australian company in the banking industry. I was there for a long time. I had a great career at that organisation. But there's always that one person at the end and you go, you know, so, you know, I had the, the pleasure or otherwise of working for someone who I would describe as a corporate psychopath who was really quite damaging in so many ways in a very short space of time. And you get into that point and you're like in this little pressure cooker and you think, do I leave? Do I stay? What if I leave? I've only ever known really this company. What do I do next? And so I thought I'd time to leave because, you know, when you're working for someone who's not kind or generous or um, cooperative in any kind of way so there was I think big courageous leap there and then leaving and saying I'm going to set up my own business because I know stuff because I've worked in this big company therefore you know I know all these things and then you know sort of facing into that and then having the total backflip with well why would anybody want to hire me as a consultant because I only know that so from the thing that I thought was going to be incredible to the thing that I thought was going to derail the whole business you know so I think setting up the business was was stepping into a a sense of courage the ups and downs that you have through that around courage and or confidence around what can I do what impact can I make who's actually going to want to know or, or be part of this is quite an interesting journey and I, I dipped in and out of contract work for a little while just to, to find my feet around that until one Friday afternoon where a short, angry stakeholder that I was working with got all spitty and angry at me, threw things at me across the room and said, I'll show you how communication is done. And I'm like, okay, off you go. You show me that. So I walked out, I went to the HR executive I was working with at the time and I said, this is what you allow happen in your business and this is not a place that I want to be in. So 
next Friday I'm going to Fiji for a women's conference and I'm not coming back to work here for you because that's not acceptable behaviour. I think having had an experience of unacceptable behaviour in my long-term corporate world, seeing that, recognising it and doing something about it straight away rather than I need the money, I need the job, I'm learning something, it's good for my career, I like the manager, all those sorts of things to be able to step that back um, and say, you know what, that's not behaviour that I want to be involved with. That was the catalyst for the next stage of my company, which was I don't want to work with dickheads anymore. I'm too old um, and too sensible and too experienced for all that sort of stuff. And I thought, no, that's it. I'm going to go and find people that actually do want to work with me and that um, I have something to contribute. And that was probably seven or eight years ago. And the business has just grown from there because I don't work with dickheads. I have an amazing team that I work with and we only work with clients that we like. So, Oh, that's wicked. How, so how old were you? Save me doing the maths backwards. Was what am I now? I'm 52 now, so 44. Does that give me the math right? About 44. <laughs> yeah, early 40s. I'm 52 this year. That's ah, one, I think it? you too. There you go. There you go. <laughs> hey, um, do you know the reason I asked Joe is age does become a factor that a lot of women particularly use as a barrier for not doing something they want to do. Like I'm too old to do that, and that's why when you only said seven years ago, I'm like, wow. Okay, I knew you were roughly around the 50 mark, which means at 44, you've gone out basically and started your own business, you know, albeit doing some other freelancing and you had the corporate experience. But that is such a beautiful story of courage because it shows that, and I don't know, did age come into or did you feel any resistance when you made this decision? Um, I, I don't think it was necessarily age related I think definitely stage of life related as well so I think you know I mean my daughter she's now 22 so she was sort of you know in high school then Um, and I think when she was little having a job and a career and stability of income and knowing what's coming is, is, is a little bit different to when you know, she got a little bit older, you know, the independence becomes different. You know, financially, I was in a very different position. So I had some different choices that I was fortunate to be able to make. So, you know, I wouldn't suggest everybody just wakes up and goes, you know, stuff it, I'm out of my job and, you know, who cares what comes next. But, you know, I had made early career decisions around income, investments, those sorts of things, which when you talk about courage for women, um, you know, women are the first ones to say, I don't do the numbers, I don't understand what's happening um, and, you know, for me that was a, a driving force earlier so that, you know, mid-40s I could make that call to say I'm not going to work with dickheads in corporates anymore. It's just not my thing. I, I want to work with people who share some innovative ways of working that are open to that, that are open to taking a punt and perhaps showing their own courage in working with us and how we work. So I think it was more life stage than age but I guess they're both kind of almost related aren't they a little bit mm, yes and no and I, I really noticed that like I said when I've been working with women or interviewing women on the podcast that you know some do get to the point where like I'm not happy doing what I'm doing but I don't know what I want to do next so but I, I'm too old to kind of go and explore it or I'm too old like I'm in my mid-40s to go and start something new now I've only known this I get that a lot I've even had a couple of conversations with two women just recently in their 60s and I'm, my argument to them is, but if you don't do it now, when are you going to do it? Like literally, you're only getting older. You've got this burning desire. And one of the things I always say to them is, if you don't do this thing that you've got this dream to do, how's it going to make you feel? 
and the word that comes up is a version of devastated. So, you know, I love that you did it. Did you always want to have your own business when you were younger growing up? Did you think one day I want to have my own business? Was that ever on your radar? You know, it's funny because my first thought was no, but then my second thought took me back to a another HR workshop where we had to sit around and talk about our goals. And this is very early in my career with, with, with a bank I worked with when I was sort of in my early 20s. And I remember saying to one of the women that I really admire there, by the time I'm 30, because that seemed like such a long way away, by the time I'm 30, I'm going to be an independent HR consultant. So I think perhaps that was always there, but then it is very easy to to get very comfortable with a corporate salary. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Like that's it's it's a blessing you can get very comfortable there which makes it that more difficult to step up and out if that's what you want to do because it's a I don't know there's a there's a big value exchange there isn't there so there's I get paid six figures and I don't have to worry about anything and I get all the time off and all the flexibility that I like to I'm actually going to go do my own thing and look for different value that's not cash you know that value exchange could be working with incredible innovative people it could be having impact in we work in sectors now that I would never have dreamed of you know we have a significant impact in the nonprofit sector in the mental health sector you know I had never imagined being able to do the work that we do in organizations like that so so the value exchange becomes quite different and and shifts and changes over time and cash is not the only thing that has value. It's so true. And just going back to what you said when you left the bank and the corporate world at the first time because you had this uh, manager that was everything that you wouldn't want in the ideal kind of person at work. And you said that you felt like you had all this knowledge, you got all this experience and and almost to a degree, a little bit, I'm going to use this word, it's not your word, um, cockiness that, you know, you can do. Yeah. But then you realise that, that, oh, maybe you don't. Tell me how that sort of played out because that's a really interesting one in itself. That particular person that I worked with at the time, I, I learned an incredible amount about leadership from that person, even though it was a slightly difficult relationship, you always learn from those things and you know, I understand why her actions were what they were. And there's some big lessons in that. So I left, there's a cultural trait at that particular bank. And I've seen it in other banks with other work that I've done. We all come out of there really um, arrogant because, you know, I, I mean, I led multi-million dollar projects globally. I mean, you know, wasn't I fabulous? You know, so I came out and went, right, well, I'm going to spend some money. I'm going to do some training I'm going to do my cert for in training so I can go and teach people all these arrogant things that I know I'm going to go and do my company director's course so I can go and direct companies and all these arrogant things that I know and I think took me I think I probably took about six months off you know just working that out you know I set up the initial company structure I got the brand I did all the fun stuff that you know that, that happens when you set up a business I did my training I did all that stuff and then I went well now I've got to go and get some business I don't know where to go where do I get clients from? Because the only people that I know are back there at that place. And with enough time and space in between, the arrogant chip disappeared. You kind of get humble very quickly when you go, I don't know where I'm going to, I don't want a job. I don't know whether a contract is the thing. I want to have a business to do my own thing. Where do I get clients from? And then I sort of had this like puddle of mess and went, well, I don't know anything. I only know that, <laughs> which I've since learned, you know, 15 years at that bank gave me great grounding to do everything else. So, so you know, I, I kind of um, got a call from someone I used to work with and they said, oh, I've got this job going. It's a job. And I'm like, well, I'm not doing anything. So why not? That was a brilliant experience around value exchange 
and cash not being the only thing because that job didn't pay a lot of money and that drove me mental because in this particular place, the lower down you were, the worse you got treated. I'm like, but I've been an executive at a bank. (laughs) I'm only doing this because I was bored. So there was lots of lessons in that as well that, you know, besides, you know, the experience of doing something a little bit different, but taking that into the next piece of contract, the next piece of contract, and then really getting clear about what that value exchange is in, in how that works. And by the time you decided, you know, you had this moment with this this short spitting man. Oh, the spitty man. He was so funny. <laughs> I love though that you've called out the behaviour and said, no, this is not acceptable and you've done something about it and left working there because too often than not we put up with that kind of behaviour or lots of different versions of poor behaviour and we put it, like you said, because we need the money or we need the job or blah, 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 whatever it might be, maybe not the courage to speak up because what would be the repercussions. But you did move on and so by this stage now you are going out on your own. Where were you in terms of your confidence to go out on your own now? And how long had you been doing this sort of contract work since leaving the bank? Contracting for a couple of years, um, so probably two or three years. Yeah, I did about two or three different contracts. What happened was so I, I had booked to go, so I've had two pivotal moments in Fiji, so this was the first one. And so I had this you know, week-long women's experience in Fiji already booked that was going to happen in a few weeks' time. And so I'd said to the HR director, I'm going to Fiji, that's it, I'm done, I'm not coming back, you can get someone else to look after the spitty man. And so literally in between then and going to Fiji, an incredible woman who I'd known for about a minute said to me, you're a nice person, these people are assholes. When you get out of this thing that you're doing, call me because there's lots of work for people that have a business like yours. So anyway, I leave that, I call her up and I say, Ange, do you want to have coffee? It's your shout because I'm out of there. So I go and the literally the, the, the day I got back from the Fiji experience, she called me and she said, I've got a client. They're a little bit too small for us and it's only a really small piece of work. It's marketing. And I said, but I don't do marketing. She goes, yeah, but it's just, it's comms basically. And I know you can write and you're a nice person. And I know the the, the the people there and they're lovely will you go and meet with them and I said sure so I go and just fresh back from Fiji there's a hundred women on my shoulders going you can do this you can do this and in my head I'm like I don't do marketing what are these people going to think of a fraud I don't even anyway so I sit there in front of three PhDs that work for um, the University of Melbourne and they're talking to me about marketing I'm like okay you're all smart people you've got my resume I haven't even made it up I haven't even made up internal marketing right one of them said, that's okay, you know Ange, we know Ange, she recommends you, that's enough for us. If you're game to give this a go, so are we, what's your day rate, can you start next week? They were my first client proper in the business. In that moment, I've got all these women in Fiji saying, go for it, you can do it, you can do it. And I'm like, well, let's give it a go. What's the worst thing that can go wrong, right? I don't know how to write. That organisation is one of our major clients still to this day, seven six, seven years on. Individually, I've been in and out of there doing projects, but now we're embedded in there running that function for their national mental health organisation. And we've taken them from a very quiet voice around trauma to um, a more public perspective around that. So the 100 women on my shoulders from Fiji saying go for it didn't hurt at all. (laughs) The courage of other women is always a good thing, right? Completely, completely agree. I love that you've got that 100 women because imposter syndrome, which I mean, you've admitted that this is not your job. You've not even snuck it in your CV just because you were told that in advance they wanted marketing. The honesty and the openness. But how did you actually feel deep inside? Like when you they said, no, no, we 
you're nice, you know Ange, we like her, we trust her, give it a go. What was going on inside for you when that happened? And, yes, you've got the 100 women going, you can do this, you can do this. What was going on inside for you? There was a mix of, yes, wow, I've landed that one. Like, you know, now I've got a client, I'm actually a business proper, to walking out going, oh, shit, who do I know that knows marketing? Who, who can I call on the weekend before I get in there? So at least I've got half a dozen words that kind of make sense. So it was kind of that, yeah, that, that, that balance of, yes, I've done this to now what? But it's a feeling that stays with me every time we bring a new client into the business that I run is that absolute, I'll call it like a drug, right? Closing a deal with a client, had someone told me that that would be the thing that would light my soul on fire, I probably wouldn't have believed them, but it is like a drug. And then bringing them in and bringing them into the work that we do and watching them do things differently, you know, has that that equal parts of brilliance and, and, and impact and all that wrapped around it. So, yeah. That is just so beautiful. And so when you're then starting your own business, so you've never run your own business before, you've had all this experience contracting, you know what you don't want and you don't work with dickheads. How did you turn your business from nothing, essentially just you, to now, and I believe it's a it's a thriving business just going great guns, how did you do that without the knowledge in advance of how to do that? Well, I did a bit of reading about how to run a business. Um, <laughs> of course you did. I did one of those courses. You know, I, I talked to people that had run a business um, just to get some of those basics and you know there's some brilliant stuff you can do with a spreadsheet and cash flow projections and all those sorts of things and you know then you you know ask a few other people I need to issue an invoice you know what do I use for that oh there's this system or that system or you know so I tapped into a few people around me that is actually a bit of a lonely journey because you kind of when you're starting out you don't know what's appropriate to share or not share or you know how do you work out what do I charge what, what are my invoice terms how do I you know, so I joined a couple of business networks where there were some like-minded people who were generous in their time and in their conversation about their experiences, even to the point where they would say, that's not enough money for what you're about to do. And I, I can tr- trust, trust me, the market's paying more than that. And I'm like, oh, there's another courageous moment. Add some more, you know, to the invoice and see what happens. So all those sorts of things, which I think, you know, if I, if I look back now, I've got some other women that are around me that are sort of starting out with that navigating that path as well I always like to be generous back to women that are starting out in particular because it's a bit lonely when it's just you you know then there was a bit more work and a bit more work and so then I phoned a friend and said hey do you want to do some freelance stuff and so we did some freelance things together and then there was another friend and another and you know now I've kind of got a business that you know is you know tipping seven figures which is wonderful and you know there's enough amazing work in it for for all of us but I mean COVID was quite pivotal in terms of business growth for my company because it meant that I didn't have to be on site with one client for one day we could do multiple pieces of work and the COVID years we doubled revenue doubled revenue every year so that was significant for our growth in terms of the flexibility of how we deliver but also the challenges that businesses were facing I mean we're all about culture I mean there wasn't any more of a perfect time to talk to organizations about culture than the COVID years so you know we had a lot to offer organisations during that time. So proven to be a really valuable um, opportunity. Tell me, do you manage the team? Like are you hands-on with the day-to-day running of the team? The team manage themselves. So um, all the ups and downs of a business, I learned about the sort of 
people and the type of engagements that work best. And I'm not really good with needy people. So I don't like people that need me to show them and teach them and develop them and all that sort of stuff. Um, that goes to my family as well. Independent stand on our own two feet. So um, the, the team that I have are all independent. They all have other business interests, which is excellent because they all know how to run a company. The work they do in my company doesn't compete with their other business interests, which is great. Um, and everyone's pretty autonomous, but we all bring work in. We all share a little bit in what that looks like. We share a bit in the reward from that too. We're all as much on the tools as we are, you know, in the boardroom doing the deal. So, yeah. It's just beautiful. I love it. And, you know, through all of this, I, the thing that's standing out for me is that if you didn't know, it didn't stop you, you just went and found out or asked someone or, you know, read a book or whatever it is, you found out as opposed to going, oh, I don't know that thing, which means I can't move forward, I can't progress. Yeah, I mean, I kind of have a bit of a mantra. We say yes to everything and we work it out later on. You know, I mean, we're a pretty skilled, smart group of people. Um, if there's a problem to solve and we don't know the answer to it, we'll confidently say, yes, we can do that. And then we figure it out and we, and we work on it after that. So, yeah. I first came across you because you were speaking at a women's high tea event of an accounting financial planning business. But what you spoke about was a book you're writing. Now, given you've just talked about, you know, the 100 women from Fiji, you are a good communicator, you can write. Talk to me about what is this book? How did that come about and how does that fit in or not with the work you're doing, the business you're running and your life basically? Where does that come from? Yeah, so um, the book came from the second time I went to Fiji. <laughs> I think I should stop going to Fiji the first time I launched a business proper and the second time I came back with a book idea. So I went for another women's experience in Fiji, um, I'll say last year, but it was a year before now, wasn't it, 2022? And there had been a big year, so I was a bit strung out when I got on the plane. I slept the entire way there. I took my daughter, she, um, is, she was 21 at the time, and another girlfriend um, who lives in Sydney. So we all met there for this you know, incredible women's experience. I know the woman that curates that experience. So I was confident that it was going to be, you know, amazing. And I went and I said, right, I'm going to do business deals over here this year because now I know what to do. Anyway, so on the first night we met this incredible woman who was um, one of the workshop hosts and she was doing a book writing session. And so my friend says, oh, I want to write a book. And I'm like, I don't want to write a book, but I'll come with you. So we went to the book writing session with, of course, lots of, you know, cocktails and wine in Fiji. And the beautiful woman facilitating the session said everybody here's got to write something down I'm like I've got no ideas and she said if you've got no ideas write a love letter to somebody and I thought well that's a good idea isn't it so I take out my little notebook I'm like hmm, I'm gonna write a love letter to my mother just because you know Jude's pretty cool I'm gonna write a letter to her I wonder what she'd write and then so it just kind of evolved from there and then the facilitator was just you know dropping out different ideas you know what would that person say to you? What would they say to somebody else? And I'm like, oh, wow, Jude's got a really big story to tell. And then I'm like, lots of women have got stories to tell. And then I went, oh, and then I started writing down the names of all these incredible women who I know that have got stories to tell. And then it just got to that point and I thought, there's a book in here. We could interview 50 women about their story and they could share something about their life, anything, like whether it's the thing that I was thinking of or whatever it is that they want to tell. And so I came back um, and said to a, um, a friend at the time, I've got this idea for a book. We're going to do this book. So um, I have someone helping me with interviews with the book. We're interviewing 50 women. The book is now called, it started off being called A Love Letter to My Mother. 
Um, and then, you know, that sort of evolved over a little bit. So the book is called Finding My Voice. It's 50 women just sharing a little bit about their story. What is it in their life that they needed to find courage for or that changed something or that they just found interesting or that they want to have a whinge about? You know, there's a few ex-husbands in that book, not named, of course, but, you know, but there's all sorts of incredible stories in there about women just navigating life regular women that get up every day and do their thing and look at everybody else and go wow they are amazing and if they put the mirror to themselves they would see that they are also equally amazing um, and inspiring to somebody else so that's that's what the book's about we've got some incredible women in there ranging from the age of 80 is our oldest woman and our youngest woman will probably be about 15 by the time we capture her story because I think courage wisdom women's journeys transcends age right it starts when we're born but you know there's there's all sorts of stories that come with that and we can learn a lot from each generation it's not a book of cranky old women who think they know better it's it's stories across across the years so I really resonate with that hold the mirror up to yourself and to your own story so and I know that's not a lot what a lot of people can do how have you found have you had some women that have just said no I can't do this or what's been your experience with getting people to share their story and share moments that they might not have actually shared with other people before yeah, there's, there's quite a few of those. Um, most of the women, their first response is, I don't have a story. What do you want to interview me for? I'm not worthy of being in a book. And I'm like, okay, cool. All right. So you're an emergency theatre nurse. You work through COVID. You've rescued women when they've been in childbirth. I know that because I was one of them. Tell a story, my friend. She goes, oh, but I feel like I'm just having a whinge. And I'm like, that's okay you know, that's fine because there's a lot of other women out there who want to have a whinge as well and they might go, wow, I resonate with that and isn't that interesting how you navigated that? So, you know, a lot of the women have said, I don't have a story to tell. There's been a few of them that have been really quite excited to say, you know what, I, I, I do have a story and I can't wait to share it. There's all sorts of stories in there, you know. There's love and life, there's anger, there's renewal, there's freedom, there's all sorts of brilliant stories in there from women that have been hesitant helping them think about that through the lens of these are everyday women these are not the famous women these are not the ones that have whole books written about them these are stories of women that just get up every day and do their thing you know share it with someone because there's another woman who's trying to get up and do that thing as well always always and that's been definitely the theme I've learned through the podcast is the amount of people that say but I don't have a story to tell no I don't need to share it on a platform because who am I to do that? Uh, it's such a common thing. What have you learned most from doing the re I know the book's not out yet, but what have you learned most from doing the research, either from the other women and what you're hearing, like any common themes, or what are you learning about yourself as you're going through this process in interviewing other women and getting their stories? A couple of things. One is the person who's helping with the book said to me, do you know all these women personally? And I went, well, yeah, I, I, like that's how we've been able to gather so many women. And she said, have you ever stood back and just went, wow? Because she said, these are some mind-blowing women that you are surrounded with. And I hadn't thought about that. I hadn't thought about how lucky I was to be surrounded by 50 women who, you know, and we don't all hang out every, every Saturday, right? So, but, but 50 women in my life that, you know, have just, they're just incredible and you go, well, I hadn't thought about how fortunate and how lucky that is, which, again, when you put the mirror and you say, well, 
what else did you think was going to happen there? So, you know, I'm incredibly grateful to the women in the book for sharing their stories. For each of them, I think they've found a little bit of themselves in telling the story, you know, and some of the stories were not what I thought they were going to tell. Some of them are quite different, which has surprised me in some aspects. Um, so I'm learning more about these incredible women than I thought that I knew. But I think for most of them, they found a little bit of something in actually telling the story, maybe a little bit of relief in that sense, or just a little bit of, I'm so glad I can tell that because I know there's someone else who wants to do this. I know there's someone else who's probably thinking the same thing. A divorce is a good example, right? There's a lot of women that get divorced, but you always think that you're the only one in the moment because you probably are with your friendship group. So sharing a story like that, you know, is, is, is useful and helpful and how different people have navigated that. So that's an interesting one. I'm not quite sure which part of my story I'm going to tell you. I'm still working that out. I'm leaving myself to be the last interview in the book. That was actually going to be my question, actually. Are you going to be in the book and are you going to tell your story? And do you know what it is? So you've just taken the words out of my mouth. I wasn't going to at the beginning. And then I thought Why? it's a little bit, well, because I couldn't quite figure out which bit to tell. And then I thought it's a little bit hypocritical of me to ask brilliant women to share something of their life and then say, I'm not doing that myself because I can't figure out which bit of the story to tell. So leaving my story to being the last one um, is quite helpful because I can see what other women have shared. There's going to be a lot of sort of common threads around some of those stories. So, yeah, so I'm leaving mine to the end. I still haven't figured out which bit I'm going to share, but I'll go for another run and I'll work on that. <laughs> do, you, do you have a story worth sharing? I think there's a few. I think there's a few threads to that. And, you know, it's it's some of that's about, some of that I think is about experiences past and where they should stay. And some of it's about experiences past and how they are formative for what's coming next. So I'm sort of just, yeah, working through which bit that might be. Okay, Joe. so I'm going to put you on the spot here and play the game or not. What's one of those experiences that you are pondering that could go into the book that you could share now? And it can almost be a bit of a, a trailer as to what people can expect when they read the book. Because this podcast is about courage. Well, there's a few things in that. I mean, I don't know, I can look at my, you know, childhood years and look at you know dysfunctional families and all the things that go with that I think there's you know there's some interesting stories there I think you know what I've learned from my mother and her mother I think is a whole other the catalyst for the story the book in the first place can you share that one I love that we haven't had that one yet well so my grandmother so my nana we call her sore leg nana because she had a sore leg for the entire time of my life that I knew her she left an abusive relationship in the 40s so as a woman in the late 1940s with my mother, who was, you know, a young child at the time, she left her abusive husband, got herself a job, bought herself a house, raised my mother and just got on with it. And she was the smallest, shortest, fiercest woman that I've ever met in my life. And so she in turn raised my mother to be a bit like that. And so my mum's gone through, a, you know, a couple of marriages, a couple of divorces, Again, you carry some of those things with you around what your expectations are of marriage and life. So she also had some domestic violence in her past as well. But she also left, got on, had a career. My mother was a very high-profile figure in the trade union movement here in Victoria through the 80s and early 90s. Frightening, a frightening woman in, in her career path. And, you know, she left that and she's, you know, had a life of service in community service and social work after that. But... 
So I look at that and then, you know, I look at my upbringing as a result of that, of two incredible women like that, and then I look at what I share down with my daughter who's 22 and a half and is equally frightening as a young person. Um, I can't wait to see where her career takes her. But, but looking at that and then I hear stories of women that say, you know, the glass ceiling and women are treated badly and I'm like, I don't, I know that exists. I don't understand that because that's not been my experience of that. I've, I've not been surrounded by women who didn't make choices for their life. So I think there's probably something in that. It was funny, actually, we were away for, for the, the summer holidays um, and looking through some photo albums um, at our family's house and there was a photo of my nana there. I'm like, oh, I haven't seen a photo of my nana for ages. Like it was, it was just one of those, where did that come from? So it was um, kind of cool. Oh, I love her sore leg nana. <laughs> she always had a sore leg, always. From, uh, ever since I can remember her, she's always had a sore leg. The sore leg got her in the end. She tripped over and hit her head because of her sore leg, and that was it. Yeah, again, the story back in the 40s, that whole thing about, you know, leaving an environment that's not right, raising a child, doing all of that, that is more common now. It doesn't mean it's any easier, but back in the 40s, yet whole other generation of difficulty and challenge. You didn't leave because you didn't have a choice. Either women weren't expected to work once they had children. I mean, my mum tells the story that when she got pregnant with my brother, she was working and she had to resign from her job. Now that, you know, I mean, my brother's a bit older than me, so it's still a little while ago, but it's unheard of now. I mean, you wouldn't even ask a question of a woman, do you intend to have a baby? So she had to resign her job then, you know. Because she was pregnant. Because she was pregnant, right? Because that's what was done. You know, my nana left a relationship when there was no social supports in place. There was no government handouts you you, if you were on your own you know it was frowned upon for you not not for the man you know so those sorts of things and nobody talked about domestic violence then did they because I mean that was just taboo so all those sorts of things that that she stepped out of they're just in our DNA like that yeah that's beautiful and I guess having two very very strong women as role models where do you think you first became aware of the strength of both your mother and your grandmother my mum when I went to get my first job at a supermarket and she walked in, she was the union official. I probably, or maybe I shouldn't say this on a podcast. She walked in, this is back in the day of compulsory unionism. You should give my daughter a job or I'm shutting down your warehouse. And I'm like, wow, you've really got some power in there, haven't you? She was genuine in what she was saying in that moment too. But I don't know, she's always, I don't know, stood out as someone who's, I mean, as she gets a bit older, she probably says a lot of things that she probably should think, not say, but because she's forgotten some of that stuff. But, yeah, I think she's always had that sort of strength. And have you always had that same strength? Like when you were younger, especially going through, you know, teenage years, were you someone that, that always said what was on your mind or what you thought? Or how did your voice, given your books about finding your voice, how did your voice sort of play out as you were growing up? Yeah, I wonder. I, I don't think so. I'd probably actually have to go and ask somebody else that question and then I might get the right answer to that. But I don't think so. We were always of that children should be seen and not heard. Sit there, don't say anything. You know, if you want to come to the restaurant, be quiet. It's not your place to say that sort of thing. I, so maybe not. I don't I don't think so, but which is probably what makes this book more special. Well, also, it's as much for you, isn't it, as it is for others I think so. to go on this journey of exploration, not just of other. And I know even this from the podcast, that I hear everything else that others are sharing and it makes me go, well, one, um, I have had people say, well, you need to be interviewed because you're getting them to interview. And it's like, huh, but what would I say? What would I share? And what's my voice? Yes. Exactly like I'm asking you, what's your role or voice or contribution to the book 
that you're getting others to play too. And it's an interesting chance to go inwards and really hear your own voice, isn't it? I think so. And and I think that's why for me it's so important to have such a variety of ages represented in the book because the 14-year-old girl has a story equally just the 80-year-old woman and the learnings come from the story itself, not because the person is older or younger in that sense. So for me it's important that that's you know, represented really quite well in that book as well. And you said that when they've shared the story, they really, they I mean, they learn something about themselves and they really can find some of who they are. Just tell me one other thing that you think they get from sharing their story in, you know, they're being interviewed, so they're probably being probed and prodded in areas they might not have otherwise. But what benefit, what other benefit do they get from going through that process themselves, do you think? Something about recognition, and I don't mean it from an ego sort of perspective, but something about recognition that the thing that they think is ordinary is not. I think that's been quite a big thing for a lot of women in the book. Oh, that is absolutely beautiful. The thing that they think is ordinary is not. That is beautiful. Yeah. And everyone has that thing absolutely that they think is ordinary that is actually not. Yep. So when's the book out? When's it due? I'm hoping that we'll have all the interviews done, finished at the end of this month. Then we'll go into design in February and then depending on how quickly we can turn that around, I'm hoping to fill my mother's garage with pallets of books in March or April. That's my plan. 2024. My mother has been in, I've enrolled her as the uh, distribution manager and she's got a hand package and post them all once they're ready to go. Well, it sounds like she's a strong, capable woman, so I don't think that's going to be a problem, I don't Joe. think it's going to be a problem for her. I love it. So if people want to find out or buy the book, or is it on pre-order at all at the moment? Yep, so they can go to the website, which is findingmyvoice.com.au. It is on pre-order. You're probably going to ask me how much it is. It's $27. Proceeds from the book are going towards projects and initiatives that help other women find their voice. I'm still working through exactly where we're, we're channeling that. Quite a lot of the women in the book have ideas and causes and initiatives that are quite personal and special to them. Hopefully we can tap into some of those. But that's that's the idea. This is not for me to make money out of the book. I just It's, it's so that collectively we can contribute to other women and their journey and how they find their voice um, in their future. And going back to what you talked about earlier about value exchange, value exchange does not always need cash. That's right, actually. Cash, cash is the least valuable form of value exchange. And Joe, if people want to find out a bit more about you, the work you do, where would they go? Where can I direct them? They can find me at twigagroup.com.au, so T-W-I-G-A group.com.au, or they can find me on LinkedIn and find me through the website. They can find the book on findingmyvoice.com.au. I'll put all of that in the show notes. And can I just ask, are you, I mean, I know I have met you, but for those who can't see you because you're sitting down right now, are you like super, super, super tall, like giraffe tall? No, no. No. <laughs> but you've definitely got the presence of a giraffe and, and uh, I don't ever want to get you angry because if you're going to come at me with your mind, I have a feeling you're going to win. So... <laughs> That's not fun. More fun to use intellect, I think. <laughs> I absolutely love that. Joe. thank you so much. Thank you for sharing. And I can't wait to not only follow your journey to read this book when it's out and in particular to reading your contribution and your story about it. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thanks a million for joining me on this episode of Courageous Me. I hope it ignited a spark or two within you. 
To keep the inspiration flowing, hit that subscribe button and stay tuned for more episodes. We've got loads of amazing stories of courage, passion, and practical tips coming your way. For all the show notes, resources, and ways that we can connect, head to courageousme.com.au. And your feedback is incredibly valuable. So if you enjoyed the show, I'd love you to leave a review and a rating. It'll help me spread more of this love and reach more wonderful people just like you. Until we meet again, my friend, always remember, you've got this.